In this episode of Board Game Impact, I'm going to be talking all about Beyond the Sun. And so it's going to be really cool and a little out of this world. Stay tuned. Howdy, everybody. This is Bruce with Board Game Impact. And if you're new to the show, Board Game Impact is a channel in which we're talking all about board games and game-related content. And we're using our education-based backgrounds for the benefit of you and your gaming group. So when we play games, we're thinking about what's the impact these games are having uh, and what could be the impact potentially for you and your players. So by sharing our stories, uh, we're able to hopefully make your gaming experiences that much better. So if that sounds of interest to you, make sure to hit subscribe on your podcast platform or wherever you might be also watching this video uh, because this is actually the second of these ones that I'm doing where it's actually streamed live um, as I'm recording it and so this is currently to Twitch, YouTube and Facebook with our Facebook page all of those are Board Game Impact so YouTube Board Game Impact, Twitch Board Game Impact, all the things so make sure to subscribe on the different platforms so you can actually participate live and we already have some people on here I've been able to interact with them which is really really cool. Um, so in this episode, I'm going to be talking all about beyond the sun, but before I get there, I want to say thank you for a couple really cool things that happened since the last episode. So last episode was episode 60. It was the first one that I've done a live stream for. Um, and I was talking about destiny quest, which is a game book series. I highly recommend you check that out and check out that episode. So it's one of those choose your own adventure style books. So if that brings any nostalgia, just by me saying that, go check out that episode. Well, since then, um, I have been thankfully also reached out to um, by the author of those books, Michael Ward, um, saying thank you for making that content. Um, he shared the live video and the podcast um, to the Kickstarter page for his latest Kickstarter um, for the World Companion book. Um, and then besides that, also Sterling, Jeremy, and others for reaching out and sharing some kudos and talking about how what we were sharing about the game book brought some sparks to them and what they would like to be doing. So Jeremy and, and Sterling, I hope the game books turn out wonderfully for you. If there's any recommendations in there or as you encounter different things or want any different tips, please don't hesitate to ask. But I'm just excited for you and your journey with all of this um, and just really appreciate all the kind words and support. And so uh, a couple other updates uh, to share. So <laughs> with the last episode, not only did I have this cool feedback, but we actually crossed 9,000 downloads of this podcast, which is completely incredible. And so uh, if you have ever listened to the show and or you're here now, obviously, but I just want to say thank you um, for helping that make, make that happen. Um, I never even fathomed that happening when we first started this because we just wanted to put some good out into the world within the board game community that has given us so much. And so thank you very, very much for making that impact on us. And it just makes us want to go and do more of the things. Uh, that being said, obviously, I keep saying us and we. Um, so typically, I'm joined by Josh. Um, so Josh also is an educator. Uh, but Josh is also in the start of his fall semester at the university he works at, uh, but he is also studying for a um, an exam that's coming up for him to professionally con potentially continue his education. And so just send the good vibes to him, just like you've been sending the good vibes to me as I've been navigating my PhD. Um, and so yeah, Josh, kick butt on your exam once you get that scheduled, but I know you're in full-on study mode, but just want to share those good wishes. 
Another really cool thing um, is that next weekend, I'm actually going to be playing Twilight Imperium 4th Edition uh, with the Prophecy of the Kings expansion. If you're not familiar with TI4, as it's colloquially referred to, um, this game's been out since early 90s. It's a game by Fantasy Flight Games, which is really the game that put them on the map, designed by Christian T. Peterson. And it is what is, by all intents and purposes, considered an epic game. And so it's going. we're literally probably going to be playing it for about 10 to 12 hours next Saturday. Um, it's one of my favorite games uh, because of the immersion and the depth of strategy and different elements that you can pull into it uh, to really make the most of that really cool experience. And so uh, just, yes, just yesterday, we did a stream uh, of a uh, together just us private stream of us doing a draft so we did an hour-long stream um, in which we picked our faction our slice of the galaxy and our starting turn order so i'm gonna be playing as the federation of soul which is kind of like the humans um, and then they're going to be playing at as different races of people in these in this galaxy so there's six of us playing this is going to be my fifth time playing ti4 um, i'm very much excited about it i've never played with the expansion so this is going to be a new experience and i've only played with one of the other players i'm playing with so it's also going to be a lot of new but i'm excited I've uh, been already doing my research and things. And so I'm going to be actually, if you're watching this live, um, I'm going to show you some of my notes that I've been taking, not by strategy, because I don't want them to watch this stream or listen to this and know what I'm going to do, uh, but kind of how I'm approaching it. And so I'm going to do that at the end of this, which I think is going to be really cool to do. So if you have questions about any of that or have never played an Epic game, please make sure to um, reach out. And I'd love to give you some, um, some advice um, or from our experiences, right? Because that's why we're here. And so with that, today we're here to talk about, I'm here to talk about Beyond the Sun, um, which is published by Rio Grande Games. The designer is Dennis Chan, uh, art by friends Woolwinkle. Um, it plays two to four players, about an hour to two hours of playtime. And it is honestly been a really cool experience. So I have played this in the last two years uh, because it's, that's how long it's been out. I've played this both in person, briefly, and then I played it a lot online during COVID lockdowns because it has a really wonderful port to Board Game Arena. Um, and then I finally was able to pick up my own copy and we've been playing a lot two-player. So I've had a great number of experiences playing this game at different play accounts. I've played it asynchronous. I've played it live. Um, and so, yeah, so this is going to be a really cool conversation of kind of what's going on here. But really what Beyond the Sun is, and this is pulling from their Board Game Geek page, the Beyond the Sun is a space civilization game in which players collectively uh, decide the technological progress of humankind at the dawn of the spacefaring era, while competing against each other to be the leading faction in economic development, science, and galactic influence. The game is played over uh, a variable number of rounds until a number of endgame victory achievements are collectively claimed by the players. The winner will, have the, will be the faction with the most victory points, which is obtained by researching technologies, improving their economy, controlling and colonizing systems, and competing for various achievements throughout the game. So, in summary, you're going for most points. You're going to get points for just about everything you do. Uh, some are going to be worth a lot more. Some are going to be worth a little bit. Uh, but I've had scores ranging from 60... 
50, 60, all the way up to 100. Uh, so depending on how play goes, you can have very different outcomes with this. Uh, but again, you really have this combined technology tree and you're on the dawn of spacefaring, so you're going to also be sending out ships. So how do you play Beyond the Sun? Well, one of the things I love, and this is burying the lead a little bit, uh, but how simplistic a turn is, is really, really great design. And what's fascinating about Beyond the Sun is that it's actually, this is Dennis's first game. Um, so Dennis Chan, the designer of Beyond the Sun, this is the first game Dennis ever designed that got published. And talk about knocking out of the park because something that we tend to look for in games is simplistic, at, simplistic turns with a depth of strategy, right? So there's two kind of ways you can go. It's called a T organization sometimes if you're looking at like organizations. Do you go surface level on a lot of things or do you one thing deeply? And so this is one thing deeply. So on your turn, you do one thing, just one. Then you produce resources and then you check if you have any end game uh, victory points, like so achievements, if you've done anything that warrants an achievement. So on your turn, you move your action pawn to an empty space and then take that action, period. That's it. Move where your one pawn to a new space. Can't be where it just was. The same, same hexagon it was on because it's a hexagon player piece. Uh, but it can be if that action has multiple spots, you can move it to one of those empty spots. It just has to move to a new spot. Then you conduct your production phase, either producing ore growing your population or trading resources one another. So like a swap of, hey, I'm going to have a lot of ore. I actually need more people. I'm going to swap that out. As you take actions, you'll be researching new technologies that come in four different levels. So at the beginning of the game, there's four different technologies that are available. One of each of those different areas we were talking about before, economy um, and like warfare and science, those those elements. So there's one of each of those. And then a branching technology tree across the rest of the board. So as you are researching, you're going to be picking those as you go and developing those out. So again, there'll be scientific, economic, military, or commercial. And the higher level technologies match the ones coming from it. So if I research military and has a direct line to a level two, then I have to research another military tech. So we're going to get better at the thing. Now, here's the fascinating part. Let's say it's further on and it's two technologies that lead into one future tech. Let's say one is military and one is commercial. I will choose, if I am the one researching the future tech, which of those two paths I would like to see before flipping cards, which is where the different technologies come from. And let's say I pick commercial, blue. I will flip the deck of cards for that level of technology until I have two blue technologies um, two, two, two blue technology inputs because on the left side it has the inputs of technology of what it could be so it might show blue and green let's say but it would count as blue and on the other side the output is one kind of tech um, so it's kind of cool that you you make that choice and then you are choosing to advance the communal technology of the galaxy which is really cool so think about it it's like hmm if if USA invents computers, right? Well, other areas will know computers exist. And so that's kind of the logic behind it of you can 
you now know that exists. So it's no longer, I don't know what is going to happen when we continue to research down this track. You now know what it is and you'll be able to select it. But only that first person got to decide where the future went, if that makes sense. So it's cool to be the one to research the new technologies. In addition, um, you are going to be able to also have this little sideboard that is where you will have your ships in orbit first around Terra, um, so the Earth, and then from there you can send them out to different planets and colonize them, control them, all of which, which will get you more points and potentially more actions or more resources, right? So if you land on a resource-rich planet, then you get those resources. And so you're choosing again, you're doing one thing. <laughs> you're, you're moving your action pawn to one open space that you have researched or have available to you. And then you do whatever it says. It might be about more research. It might be about production. It might be about exploring space. Those are really the things. Um, so in exploring space, you might get more units, right? And to go and do that. Um, so it's really really simplistic of you move your pawn to one thing of your choice that you have access to because of where you have researched. And so with some interesting notes about this is that depth that comes with that because of the simplistic nature of choice, every one of those choice matters. And I love that because that means that as we're going, everybody is invested in what is going to be happening because then it's what they're going to have access to in addition because you're only doing one thing turns are going to fly by pretty quick so it's going to come back to you so it keeps players engaged of wanting to know what's happening on the board while also knowing hey i'm going to have my turn in a second so i better pay attention um, so with that another note about some interesting gameplay is there's two different levels of um, player factions. So there's four base factions, and then there's a advanced faction for each of them. So each of them has like a minor, minor asymmetric or uh, variable power that is slightly different than other players. And so we've mostly played with the basic ones because we just like the game is like love the game as it is. Um, and personally like that's what we like and we just kind of want to stay there but i could see people wanting to add in a mix of some of the different things so if you are let's say playing as a more experienced player with a new player you might want to take an advanced board as a challenge uh, because that might be harder to work with right so that way you're actually balancing things out which i kind of like when he gives you that kind of opportunity of different experiences but based on your factions of experience level which is nice the other note about that shared tech tree I cannot be understated of how interesting that tech can evolve over the game um, and and how evocative just these words can be because it's just text and some symbols for some of these different things. It's not a picture. If it's not like you're playing terraforming Mars and all of a sudden you've researched how to, let's say, pull an asteroid out of orbit. And it's got a big old picture of an asteroid with like jets on it. No, it's just a card with text and a little spot to put your player upon. That's it. This game conveys everything it's doing mostly through text and meaningful names of elements, right? So because you're really pouring in of these different research tracks, you can tell by looking at the board, oh, there's a lot of red on the board. There's a lot of military. This is a pretty militaristic galaxy. Um, so that 
shared tech tree is just really, really interesting. And because a lot of times, like even the game I'm going to be playing upcoming of TI4, Twilight Imperium, I've got my own tech tree and none of the players around me, even though they might be my neighbor and I'm trading with them, all the things, they don't have the same research technology unless they've chosen to research that, but they can be very different. Uh, there's no guarantee of that. And all of us start off in that game for TI4 uh, with different starting technologies. So we also start out at different places on a tech tree. And some of them also have their own access to unique technology where this is, no, everyone has access to the same technology. We are in a shared ecosystem. Um, from, a, from my PhD work, I've done a lot of work at looking at systems. And this would be what's called a closed system. Um, in which the information is all public there, right? Uh, but none of the information is leaving that system. Um, it's not it's not separate systems that are interacting. Uh, it is one ecosystem that we are all sharing in and living within. It's one biome, essentially. Another cool factor is that ability I talked about earlier, when you are the one who's researching a technology that you if it has multiple branches coming into it, that you get to choose the shape of the galaxy and looking at, hey, are we going to be more militaristic, more about commercial, more about production, uh, more about people, right? And so as you do that, if you get further, if you've really eliminated, eradicated military out of things or commercial out of things, well, then future tech might not have those as options anymore because you've eradicated those branching lines. You've nipped it at the bud. Um, and so that's a really cool thing about gameplay in which although it's the same, mostly the same cards, and now some cards might not come out every game, but it's mostly the same feel of cards that is important so no matter if it, the card is new to you or not you kind of know how it's all going to work because it it feels so similar but the choices and when they come out make that much more of an, a meaningful impact so in terms of components um one of the most fascinating things about this game is that people see right away is the mind shift that it does in terms of the use of a cube, right? So when you think of a cube, you're probably thinking of a dice, um, so a D6. And so it uses a D6. However, it is never rolled, and there's a lot of them for each player in their player color. And so instead, it's used as a cube that each face of the cube represents a different thing. So it could be a supply cube when it's on your board and it has not been used yet, so it looks like, honestly, like a loaf of bread. That's what we just call it. Like, uh, change that to bread because it looks like a loaf of bread. On the opposite side of the die, so if it was a one, then this would be the six, is a person, which, by the way, if, if you didn't know, the opposite side of a die is always whatever seven minus the visible number is. That's cool. So if you're looking at the one, the six is on the bottom. Little trick if you're trying to figure out where on a die if you're looking for a certain face. So or there's people. So uh, if you convert your supplies into people, right, then you would just turn it over and now it's a person. And then going around that, kind of like in an orbit, is the symbol of a ship and then the number in the corner ranging from one to four. And that's the ship's power. So all ships typically start out at level one and then there's different things and actions you can do to upgrade them. So it'd go from one to two or jump two levels to a level three. Can never go above four. 
And those numbers are then used to determine your power at colonizing different places or controlling different planets and, and space docks on this little space space fly around board. So you got all these cubes moving around, which is really cool. Um, so I love the fact that it plays on the notion of what a cube is and what it can be used for, which is that's a really cool thing. And so if you're thinking about designing games, think about how can you take this thing that everybody knows as a dice and then maybe use it differently where it never gets rolled. Some other cool things uh, the in terms of the table presence, the tech tree is quite large. That board is quite large. And it faces in one direction. And so just know that um, for us, that table presence, there's a phrase that my wife and I use of being like same siders. So when we go to restaurants, we do not sit on the same side. It's, we are not same siders. When we played this game, we wanted to actually be sitting on the same side. Um, just personally, now the text is large, like you can read it, read it upside down. And if I'm more familiar with it, right, you might be more comfortable with that. I just that's my one hang up with this game. Um, spoiler alert is like, I don't know. I want to be sitting upside down lo looking at text the whole time. Um, so if you can sit on the same side of play or if you have like a lazy Susan, that might be a cool idea too. Um, uh, but that is the only hang up and that it's minimal. Uh, so, but for this game, again, we wanted to be same siders. The player boards are actually a nice dual layer player board. Now they're thinner player board. So it doesn't, fully like sync the pieces into them. So if you're not familiar with the dual layer, it's where there's a, a solid layer on the bottom and then the top layer has the cutouts for where you can put things. And so things, if like a disc or a cube sits in there, it kind of stays, uh, which is super nice because on your board, you're gonna put out a lot of little cubes. And so it's nice to kind of slot in, but it's not high enough where they're locked in. Uh, but if you nudge it, things like that, they're not gonna move. But it is a nice added addition and that was definitely not something they needed to do. Um, but I think it's the game is a lot better because they did it. Uh, so that way things aren't moving around because I could see that completely messing with someone's game. Um, so actually in retrospect, yeah, I'm going to say they needed to do it and I'm glad they did it. Um, but Rio Grande Games is not always known for adding those kind of things to games. And so I'm thankful they did it in this in this game. Another thing about components and table presence, I mentioned at the top of the episode when talking about this, I played this a lot on Board Game Arena. Now, on Board Game Arena, I don't have any of the same issues of being a same side part of the table because no matter who you're playing it with, we're both looking at the same computer screen or our own computer screens. And so it's always oriented the correct way. And I've also played it on the iPad like that via Board Game Arena. And so the fact that I'm making one thing doing one thing on my turn and it's always facing me. This made it a phenomenal port to board game arena and it's honestly a blast. And so playing it multiplayer on board game arena, I've done it live and asynchronous turn by turn. So essentially when I finish a turn, it sends whosoever turn it is an email and they have X number of time to then take their turn. And because it's so, so much of a Euro game in which it's you're taking your actions and making your choices. Yes, the things are going to affect other players in terms of what's available, but that means you can just take your choice and then not have to wait for input or actions by other people. So it goes rather quickly, which was great. So what it brought out in other players and myself, um, game nights that just kind of flew by. Um, I know I'm talking about planes and spacecraft, and so of course I made a pun, but and unintentionally actually. Uh, but really, like we were sitting there, and the night just flew by because we were so immersed 
in the game that was happening that we wanted to invest in that storyline uh, and the meaningfulness of the choices we were making. We wanted to bring out the best in our own plays. So for us, it was really cool. And that's been at every player account. Uh, and also we've had, when I've played it online, like we still talk about some of those games because it was more kind of epic moments because you wouldn't necessarily always see the thing live and then you'd go in and be like oh my god what did you just do and then you'd look back in the chat and or list everything it's like oh that is so cool um that you were able to make all those synergies happen and so it's been really cool to have those experiences uh in terms of like competition and enjoyment because that has been a thing we've been fully immersed like i've talked about but full immersion doesn't mean always that comes right back to the table um, it's just, we were present at that one time. Right. And so the question is, did we have that multiple times? And the answer is yes. To the point of when I finally got a copy for our house, um, we finally played it to player. It was a couple weeks ago and literally my wife wanted to play it three nights in a row, uh, because she beats me typically in every game we play. Uh, she did not beat me the first game and she's like, she lost by like three points. So like those close games. And then we played again and she, it was very close again. Unfortunately, she still lost. Um, and she's like, I want to kick your butt at this game. And so we played it again um, and it didn't go in her favor. I had my best score of all time, um, but we don't always play to win like that. We play to have fun, but um, that was just a really cool experience uh, for us. And it's been fun to do. Um, and it's been cool to see how different strategies you might take can lead to very different things um, or different choices. And then when you look back in retrospect and think about it of some different points where you may have been able to score a ton of points um, if you had taken like an opportunity. And so this is a game that encourages working towards mastery, um, but rewards you at the end because you have built a thing. Like at the end of this game, no matter if you won or lost, because I had lost this game a ton before playing it those three times that weekend. Sorry, honey. Um, she had played it before too. So uh, no holds barred in our household. Um, but <laughs> at the end of the game, no matter what you've done, you've colonized planets most likely. You've researched technology. Like you are accomplished. And it gives you things to be proud of. And so even in those times of loss, you're able to see, okay, this is what I did. This is what I was able to do, and it's cool. Um, so that is just a really nice feeling to be able to be left with. Um, in terms of another thing it brought out, um, because resources can be really tight, uh, it brought out this really impactful choice, not only about what technology type to research, but then when you get those, so you get two cards of whichever one you pick. So if I pick military, if I had two options, I flip cards, so I have two military, and then I'll pick between those two. And between those two, often we found that one of them is probably going to be focused on a short-term thing, like here's an immediate bonus and get some resources, et cetera. And it might not even have an action space. It's just that or an action space that's like minimized because it's got a better immediate bonus. And then other ones where it might not have an immediate bonus, but it has a potentially really impactful action that it has. And or it's a space that might not have an action, but a bonus that might be really good for you down the line. And so we kind of felt this like tug of war of do we take the action that's going to benefit us now or benefit us later? So in case in point, 
in the second game of that weekend with my wife, we were playing and we were really, for some reason that game, like all about space for like the very beginning of the game. And so the technologies that we're picking, it's like, okay, how do we get technology to have more space things? And how, so ships and resources to colonize. So coal to like transform things. And then at the end of the game, we look at the board and realize there wasn't that many action spaces because it was a lot of like one-time bonus spaces that we had put down via military and then some other things that we just didn't need anymore like we didn't need to really do much more in space we were ready to accomplish those achievements you got to do more than those achievements and so it was interesting how there was like an ebb and a flow to the game experience because of that that was just really nice to watch and so again besides having already that depth of thought and meaningfulness you're then balancing do you want something for now or do you get something that might benefit you down the line um because you also don't know how it might benefit your opponents immediate short term or down the line so it's a really cool kind of little moments that you get when you're presented with those cards and it feels like you're really doing a cool thing so how would this game fit into teaching other games um Honestly, this is probably the best game I've ever played that has a tech tree. And so if you're wanting to encourage learning about a technology and how we all kind of work in the same ecosystem, uh, I would highly recommend this, especially if you want to just like learn if you're interested in space at all. Now, we've had two scrubbed launches of the Artemis 1 rocket over the last week. Um, this is something that I am very much paying attention to, and I'm obviously playing TI4 this weekend. So like space things and sci-fi things are something that's meaningful to me. And so this was already kind of in my corner. So if if you have somebody who might not have been in board games yet, but like sci-fi and like space, this could potentially be a really good way to get them in a little bit deeper. Now, it is a heavier game. Um, by heavy, I mean the um, quote-unquote complexity, according to Board Game Geek users. So it is rated as a 3.01 out of 5. Uh, and so just know that of it might be a little crunchier for a new person. But because you're only doing one thing on a turn, it scales slowly and it's manageable. And so that is why I'd say, you know what, I would actually, I would incorporate this with some new people, some new individuals, especially if they had an inkling towards space, technology, sci-fi, those kind of things. Um, so overall thoughts of Beyond the Sun, um, it's out of this world. <laughs> I couldn't help it. Um, but this game has made some really cool nights and experiences with my wife and I, um, being able to build out this shared ecosystem and technology galaxy, right? Trying different strategies that are more competitive or more resource driven. And so it's been a really nice experience to also play it virtually and play it online on board game arena, both live and asynchronous with some friends. So, uh, Beyond the Sun is a game that absolutely is going to be staying in my collection for a very long time. I'm very thankful I have it. It's it's not the prettiest game I have. It doesn't have any minis or things like that, uh, but it does have depth of thought and creates some really cool memories uh, because of the meaningfulness that is built into this game. So Dennis, like you knocked it out of the park with this one, man, and really designed a what I would call an elegant game uh, in which we're able to make and facilitate a lot of cool, meaningful experiences. Um, and so I just want to say thank you for that. So in closing thoughts, if this is in 
your wheelhouse. I encourage you checking it out. Maybe check it out on Board Game Arena. Um, as we've talked about in the past, Board Game Arena, no, we're not sponsored by Board Game Arena, any of those kind of things, is a, but it's a f- mostly free website, boardgamearena.com. Create your account, which is free to do for a general account, and most of the games on there you can play for free. So I've actually used it before to like learn games because the rules are built into the design. So you can't take an action that is against the rules. Uh, now there are games like Beyond the Sun, etc., that you do have to pay a membership for, but the membership I believe was $24 for the year. So like $2 a month and you get to play unlimited of anything there. Um, and if you have an account or a friend has a premium account, then they can invite you or you can invite others to come and play. Just like if you owned a board game, you can show up at someone's house with said board game. And so if you're wanting to dip your feet in for just a little bit and see if this game is for you and play asynchronous, um, I would actually totally be down for that. (laughs) If you want to play asynchronous, like just reach out to me and depending on schedule, like we might be able to do that. So we play turn-based where it sends us the emails. I can do that two player. I can do that more than two player. So just let me know. Um, you can reach out to me at boardgameimpact at gmail.com. That's going to be a wrap for this episode. So thanks to thanks for listening to Board Game Impact and learning about the experiences that we are having. Uh, and I hope that that makes a positive impact on your gaming group. That's why we're here. That's why we do this. Um, so you can follow us on all the social media pages, which is at Board Game Impact, whether that's YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, all the places. But what would be really cool is if you can tell a friend about Board Game Impact because they might be the person who needs to hear this message about this cool game that might be cool or you're trying to encourage them. So do tell a friend about Board Game Impact so you can plant the seeds of cool games to come. And until next time, go make your positive impact on the world.